this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in His power and love even now as you listen. Guys, we'll open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7 this morning, Mark 7, and we're going to talk about encountering the King. Mark 7, and we're going to look at the end of the chapter today, verses 24 through 37. Encountering the King. You know, when we, when we read in the Gospel of Mark, as we're walking through it, when we, when we look at these encounters that Jesus has with people We should never do that in a detached way, because we're in every story. (laughs) Jesus yearns to encounter us, and and when you read the Gospels, put yourself there. Ask the question, where am I in this story? How is Christ encountering me? Mark 7 and verses 24 and following, if you would follow along in your copy of God's Word. The Bible says, and from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the the woman was a Gentile, a a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let's pray. Father, once again as we dig into your word today, help us to, 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 to listen and, and, and read as if we are here, because truly we are. Your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and able to penetrate into the deep recesses of our lives exactly at the point of our deepest need. And so we pray that you would do that today. Give us ears to hear. Give us open minds, open hearts to receive. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Think of the encounters that changed your life. Think about the moment that you met the person that you would eventually fall in love with and marry. Think about the moment that you first laid eyes on your children. Think about the moment that you met the person who was going to change your life by opening the door for your job, your vocation, your career. Think about the moment that you met the person who led you to Christ. Now all of those are life-changing encounters, and in the case of the last one, eternity-changing, because through that person you were introduced to the Savior, to the King. And every encounter with the King, and we're going to look at two of them today, every encounter with the King is unique and compelling and fascinating. Let's look at a couple of them today. The first one we see in verses 24 through 35 in Mark 7. And, and, and really, this encounter sort of begins with, you could call it a divine interruption. A divine interruption. Let's look at verse 24. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Now, most of Jesus' ministry takes place uh, along the Sea of Galilee, uh, right about here, along this shoreline. Uh, in this case, Jesus has gone up to the northwest, to Tyre here, Sidon uh, here, uh, both uh, in what would now be Lebanon, which is not now Jewish territory, and it was not Jewish territory then either in the first century. Now, we've already seen that sometimes Jesus will go into Gentile territories to do ministry, but that doesn't seem to be the case here. It seems like in this instance, he and the disciples are probably getting away from Galilee in order to get some rest, because by this point, Jesus' notoriety has become such that it's very difficult for them to move around uh, to any extent, or, or certainly get any rest because he's mobbed everywhere that he goes in Galilee. So it seems like in this instance they've retreated to Tyre and Sidon to, uh, to, in order to be able to rest, but it is, it is not to be. Look at verse, uh, verse 25. It says, But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. So no sooner have they arrived at this house that was to be like a retreat center, then this, this person in desperate need is coming and, and falling before him. You know, we've all had uh, situations where we had everything planned out. We, we, we had all of our plans laid, and then God has other plans. Somebody once said, if you want to hear God laugh, tell him your plans. Because his plans a lot of times are different than our plans. But you know what? They're better than our plans. They're better. And we should, we, yes, we can make our plans, but we should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be flexible because God might have other things planned. And Jesus was, was like that. He was responsive to what the Father was, was doing. And uh, we, this is not the first time that we've seen this, right? We saw it in chapter 6. Let's uh, look at chapter 6 and verses 31. And following, he said to them, Come away by yourselves 
to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. And so, same thing in chapter 6. They needed rest. They're going away to a desolate place to get rest, but the crowd gets wind of where Jesus is, and they get there first. How does Jesus react? Verse 34. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. And so we see that Jesus, even though they needed rest, instead of resenting the presence of the crowd, Jesus embraces it as something that God is doing. He knows that the Father is in charge. And so Jesus doesn't resent it. He embraces it. And so He feeds this crowd uh, spiritually by teaching them. And then He feeds them physically. Takes five loaves and two fish and multiplies them and feeds fifteen to 20,000 people with them. And so Jesus modeled this. This kind of, of flexibility and sensitivity to the the leading of the, of the Spirit. You know, there's a wonderful story about something that happened in, in Philadelphia many years ago. And uh, there was late on a rainy night. This couple came in off the street. They came into the lobby of a hotel and approached the desk. And there was a night clerk that was working there. Very, very late, just stormy, rainy outside. And they asked for a room. Now, all the rooms had been rented out for that night. And if if that person had been an ordinary employee, they would have probably just said, hey, we don't have any vacancy, sorry. You know, and spun them around and out back into the rain. But this this employee was exceptional. And he had just an an exceptional attitude towards people, an attitude of, of servanthood. And so he said to this couple, he said, look, you know, we really don't have any vacancies, but I just don't. It's late. It's raining. I don't want to put you all back in the rain. There's this room, and we don't usually rent it. It's certainly not the best that we have. But I can get somebody from housekeeping to come and clean it up, uh, and, and, and we can put some flowers in there, and, and I think you'll be comfortable there for the night. And so after a few minutes, uh, the clerk came back and said to the couple, they said, your, your room is clean, and it's ready, and I'm going to have some hot tea that's going to be sent up there with you. It was over. Didn't think anything else about it. Eighteen months later, when the Waldorf Astoria Hotel was opening in Manhattan, the, the man who had built that hotel, who owned it, John Jacob Astor, said, I know who I want to manage my hotel, to manage the Waldorf Astoria. <laughs> They're working as a night clerk at a hotel in, in Philadelphia right now. We never know what's happening. We never know exactly what God is is doing. So in your encounters with people, in your daily life, just assume that God is in charge. Assume that the people that you meet, you're not meeting them by accident. The people that you're conversing with, you're not conversing with them by accident. Just assume that God is in charge of the details of your life. And so go the extra mile to love people and to serve people in the name of Jesus. The Father is in charge 
of our time, all of our interactions with people. And so, a lot of times what we regard as, a, as an interruption is actually a divine interruption or a divine appointment. And, and that was the case here. They made their plans. The Father had, had other plans. And it's fascinating. Verses 25 and 26. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And Tim, Tim Keller says there are four kinds of people on this earth. There are cowards, there are regular people, there are heroes, and then there are loving parents. And loving parents will do anything for one of their children who is in danger or who is suffering. And, and that was the case here. This woman had a child that was in torment. And she was willing to go through any barrier to get her the help that she needed. She had a lot of barriers to go through. James Edwards, who's probably the, the leading Markin scholar in the world, says this about this text. James Edwards says, Of all the people who approach Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, this individual has the most against her from a Jewish perspective. Verse 26 reads like a crescendo of demerit. She's a woman, a Greek Gentile, from infamous pagans of Syrian Phoenicia. Even Levi, the tax collector, must have raised his eyebrows at this woman. People in her category simply did not approach Jewish rabbis. It was not done. But if you've got a child who is suffering, you may find yourself doing a lot of things that you never could have imagined yourself doing. And that was the case here with her. And we see here in, in verse 26 that she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And the tense here of begged means that she kept on begging. In other words, she, would, she refused to take no for an answer. And so Jesus says in verse 27, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now this sounds harsh and completely out of character for Jesus, but it's, it's really not for three reasons. First of all, Jesus here is telling a parable. It's not an allegory. It's a little mini parable. Uh, second, the, and so it's, it's, he's not, in other words, he's not, he's not calling the woman a dog, okay, because it's a, it's a parable, not an allegory. Second, the word that he uses for dog was very specific. There was a word for street dogs, which were sort of despised and looked down upon. That's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is very specific, and it's a word that was used for puppies or for pets. And that brings us to the third thing. Jesus here in this parable is, is drawing a portrait of a domestic scene, a scene that would take place in a household, a common scene, where family sits down to eat at the end of the day and you've got the kids, the parents are there, the kids are there, the kids are hungry, this is their main meal. And imagine 
if these parents took the kids' food and, 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 and threw it to the pets. It's just not done. There was an order. There was a sequence. And the sequence was, first, the family would eat, and then the puppies would get the leftovers. Okay, so what Jesus is, the point that he's making here in the parable is one of priority. It's order. It's not that he's saying that the Gentiles are not going to be reached because clearly that was part of the mission. We've already seen Jesus go into Gentile territories occasionally and when he gives the Great Commission, what's he going to say? Go into all the world, every people group on earth with the Gospel. But the plan was to reach the Gentile world through Jews. And so the sequence was, Jesus was primarily concentrating on Jewish people at this point, who in turn were going to go forth and reach the rest of the world with the gospel. And that's why when he sends out the twelve on mission in Matthew 10, it says the twelve Jesus sent out, instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Because through Israel... God was going to reach the world. Now, something else is happening here as well. Jesus, as he often does, and in, in, through the use of parables, he's testing, he's probing, right? He wants to elicit a response from her. And she passes the test with flying colors. Verse 28. She answered him, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. In other words, she says, I get it. I get it. I understand what you're saying. But you've got enough for everybody. There is enough on that table for everybody. And my need is desperate and my need is now. And Jesus responds to her in verses 29 and 30. And he said to her, for this statement, and, 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 and the Greek, it's, it's, like, it's like he says, what an answer! What an answer! For this answer, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now, what can we take away from this story? First of all, something about faith. Something about faith. She is essentially saying here to Jesus, what I need, you have. You have more than enough. What I need, what my daughter needs, what we need, you have. Listen, Jesus delights in that kind of faith. You know, when, when we're praying through a situation where we need God to come through. We need God's sufficiency, God's provision to be shown. Let that ring through your mind. What I need, you have, Lord. When you're praying about what to give, for instance, okay, that should be going through your mind. Lord, what I need, you have. So I don't have to worry because you own the cattle on a thousand hills. What I need, you have. You can more than supply. 
And so therefore, I'm free to give and give generously, okay? So, something about faith. Second, something about humility. We, what is this woman saying? What is she not saying? I love what Tim Keller says in commenting on this. He says, she's not saying, Lord, give me what I deserve on the basis of my goodness. She's saying, give me what I don't deserve on the basis of your goodness. And the Father delights in that kind of humility and blesses that kind of humility. So the first story, the first encounter is about a divine interruption. The second Divine compassion. Divine compassion. Let's look at verses 31 and 32. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. Now remember, the Gospel of Mark originates with the Apostle Peter and so Mark here is, is giving us Peter's eyewitness testimony. And he would, Mark writes the Gospel of Mark the way that he's heard Peter tell these stories many times. And when Peter would tell these stories, he would tell them using the, what's called a dramatic present. In other words, he would tell the story as if it were happening in the present. So literally in verse 32, it, it, it reads, And they bring to him. A man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. And they are begging him to lay his hand on him. You know, one of the ways that we can sense that God is beginning to work in our lives is when he begins to give us more of a heart for the hurting. More of a heart for the weak and the vulnerable, the disabled. And, and, and we see that here, and, and, we, and we see this time and time and time again in the Gospels, disease and disabilities and death, and we see it all, all through our broken world today, don't we, all the time. And the presence of these things, the presence of disease and disability and death points to the fact that something is wrong with the world. This world is broken. This creation is marred by sin. And it is not the creation that God created originally. He created, he created everything and, and it was good. And it was out any of those things. And so the presence of these things point to the fact that the, that the creation is broken. Now the healings of Jesus that we see in the Gospels, they point to something too. They point to the fact that God is bringing about a new creation. The, the creation that we have marred by sin. God is bringing about a new creation. And so the healings of Jesus, they're like signs. They're signs of the fact that, that God is bringing about a new creation. And listen, one day Jesus is coming again. And what Jesus is doing on 
on a, a micro scale through these healings and the Gospels, when Jesus comes again, guess what? It's going to happen on a macro scale. Right? The world is going to be healed. So all that is wrong is going to be made right. Evil is going to be banished. Suffering banished. Disease, disability, death banished when Christ returns. And John gives us a, a portrait of that in Revelation 21, 4 and 5. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's what it's going to be like when, when Jesus returns you know and when we look at the things that are happening in our world when we look at the news like some of the news that we've seen this past week in in france i don't know about you but i find myself praying more and more the prayer of the apostle paul at the end of first corinthians 16 maranatha our lord come come lord jesus come and heal this broken world. And until that day, He calls you and me to be His agents of healing and love and grace in the midst of this broken world. Let's look at verses 33 through 35. And taking Him aside from the crowd privately, He put His fingers into His ears, and after spitting, touched His tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. A couple of intriguing things here in these verses. First of all, the preservation of the original, which Mark, we've seen uh, again before in, in Mark, Mark, a lot of times, will pre he'll preserve the story the way he'd heard Peter tell it. And Peter would tell it using these original words of Jesus, which he will translate. So Jesus, on that day, said to this man, Epitha, be opened. Another fascinating thing that we see here is the physicality of this miracle. He, he, he puts his fingers in the man's ears. He touches his tongue. Why does he do that? You know, a lot of the miracles of Jesus, just like the one before, the one immediately before this, the little girl who's healed, she's not even present in the room. So Jesus, he doesn't have to touch people to heal them. I mean, he can just speak the word. It's done. But in this case, he, he touches Fingers and ears, touches the man's tongue. What's going on? This is like sign language. Jesus is communicating in a way that this man can understand. Remember, he's deaf. And so Jesus has the presence of mind and the sensitivity and the compassion to communicate in a way that this deaf man can understand. He wants him to understand what's going on. And so Jesus, Jesus identifies with him. 
not that Jesus needs to do these things for the man to be healed. It's that the man needs Jesus to do them in order to understand what's being done to him. It's just Jesus entering into where this man was in his pain, just like he enters into our lives when we're in pain. He doesn't stay distant and remote from us. He understands. He understands what we're going through, and he enters into that. And we can see that here in verse 34, when it says that, that Jesus sighed, looking up to heaven, he sighed. And the word here means that he, he groaned. It's a pain. Jesus, Jesus utters this, this painful sigh, this painful groan. Why? Because Jesus understands. He understands like nobody else understands the pain and the isolation that this man has been going through. Just like he understands our hurt and our need like no one else does. And Jesus here again, instead of staying distant from this man, Jesus is radically identifying with him and entering into his experience of pain. And so he sighs deeply. And he enters into this experience instead of staying remote from him. Now, here's something that's fascinating. I never saw it until this week. In, in verse 32, the word that is used for the condition of this man, for the speech impediment that he has, it's only used one other time in the Bible. In fact, it's only used it's less than 30 times in all of Greek literature. It's a rare word. The only reason that Mark would have used this word is if he was cross-referencing the one other time in the Bible that this word is used. And that one other time is in the 35th chapter of Isaiah. And it is a messianic text. And it says this, Isaiah 35. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. In other words, when God comes, when God comes to us, what happens? Isaiah says that the, the deaf are going to be hearing, the mute are going to be speaking. What's happening here? What is Mark saying is happening here in this healing? God has come. And he, and he puts it all together in verse 37 when he says, And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So what's the message here? God has come. When you look at Jesus, God has come. Behold your God. God, instead of remaining distant from us, God has come to us. Instead of clinging to the glory of heaven, God came to us in Christ. And God radically identified with us, becoming a human being. And taking our sin and our darkness on Himself all the way to the cross. And this is what Paul is talking about in Philippians 2. In verses 5 through 8, when he says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, 
and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, in Jesus, God has come. He has come compassionately to us to save us. Instead of remaining remote and distant from us, God has come to us in Christ. And in compassion, He has entered into our brokenness, entered into our pain, taken our sin upon Himself that we might have life. Because where is this story moving in Mark? It's moving to Jerusalem. And what's going to happen in Jerusalem? I'll tell you what's going to happen. Jesus is going to become like a a dog, a street dog, so that we can be seated as sons and daughters at the table. What's going to happen in Jerusalem? Jesus is going to become mute. He's going to suffer without words. He opened not His mouth. Jesus is going to suffer and become mute so that our tongues can be loosened to call Him King. Let's pray together. Father, again, we thank You for the glorious good news of the Gospel. We thank You for the love of Jesus. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today who has never called Jesus their King, never opened up their heart to His great love. I pray that Your Holy Spirit would minister to them and open their hearts to see Jesus and respond to Him in repentance and faith that He might be their Savior and their King. Lord, our tongues have been loose to call you king. May we go forth into this community. May we enter into conversations every day, understanding that you are in charge of our time. You are in charge of everything that's happening, including the people that we meet. And that you would make us agents of your love through our lives. And yes, Lord, through our lips. Help loosen our lips to speak of Jesus to those that we meet. May we just assume that you have put them in our lives to love, to help, to serve. Help us to be on mission for you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about entering into a relationship with Him, we would love to come alongside and just pray with you and talk with you. Our invitation is, is for you today. Just come and, and share about what God is doing in your life. If you're here today and God's speaking to you about being a part of this church family, then we'd love to talk with you about that as well. We've got people here that can pray with you about any need that you have. Let's stand together as we sing. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know
know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin. But I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray. You know, the Bible says this in John 1.12, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father. And you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with them. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. I'd love to meet you and help you in your Christian journey. I would love to connect you to some other people who love the Lord who would love you too. Come to one of our services. We worship at 8.30 and 11 on Sunday mornings. Be sure to speak to me before or after the service. Maybe you live outside our area. I'd love for you to write me. My email is pastor at fbcsuffolk.org. Tell me what God's doing in your life. If you have spiritual questions I can help you with, please let me know. We're on this journey together.